This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Okay, my alarm goes off in the morning. Sometimes I hit the snooze. I try really hard not to. Finally, I drag myself out of sleep, stumble down the stairs, and reach for that sweet, sweet cold brew. Dollop of oat milk. Day can begin. Sound familiar? Well, for many, a cup of coffee is what gets us through the day, or two cups, or three. Now, there are plenty of other ways to get caffeine, energy drinks, even gummies. We heard from plenty of you about your relationship with caffeine. My name is Shelly Duncan. I'm from Kansas, and I just wanted to say I love coffee, and I call it my happy juice, and I need it every morning. My name is Jesse De La Cruz Sanchez. Coffee is something that I need every day on a regular basis, maybe twice a day, just to go through the day. It makes me feel amazing. It wakes me up. My name is Paul uh, from Marble, Florida, via New York. What I do is I get uh, some Starbucks beans over there at Publix, and I take them home, and I roast them again in the oven, and then I put them in a little bowl, and as I'm working, I just chew them. So then I take, you know, eight or ten, usually, you know, in a half hour and check the caffeine level buzz I got. And if I need a little more, I chew a few more and then I brush my teeth. All right, Paul, you're really going for it. Thanks for those messages. So how does caffeine affect our body? For this edition of our In Good Health series, we're taking a closer look at caffeine and answering your questions. We meet our panel after the break, and a quick reminder, they're not a substitute for talking to your own doctor about health concerns. I'm Jen Moyt. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back after this quick break. This message comes from Capital One, presenting sponsor of the 2024 Tiny Desk Contest. Earlier this year, unsigned musicians from around the country submitted their original songs for the 10th annual Tiny Desk Contest. The panel of judges are hard at work picking standout entries, and you can follow along and choose your favorite videos as well. The winner gets to play their very own Tiny Desk Concert, then headline a tour with NPR Music this summer. Want to come along for the ride? Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more. Then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Let's bring in our guests. Jennifer Temple is a professor of exercise and nutrition sciences and director of the Nutrition and Health Research Laboratory at University at Buffalo. She also has a doctorate in neuroscience. Jen, welcome to 1A. 
Thanks for having me. Also with us is Dr. Stephen DeVries. He's the executive director of the Gaples Institute. That's an educational nonprofit with the mission of advancing the role of nutrition in medicine. He's also a preventative cardiologist and an adjunct associate professor of nutrition at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Steve, it's great to have you. Thank you. Great to be with you to talk about such an energizing topic. <laughs> so, Jen, we, we heard from so many people about how often they drink coffee. When you take away the coffee, the flavor, the water, and you're left with just the caffeine, what is that substance? Um, so caffeine is a substance that occurs naturally in the leaves and beans of certain kinds of plants. And it is a substance that acts within our system to do all the things that the caller said it did. So it makes us feel more alert. It makes us feel more awake. It makes us feel more energized. And we are getting it from more and more places nowadays. So it's not just the naturally occurring sources that like coffee and tea, but we're getting it in soft drinks. We're getting it in energy drinks where it's present as an additive. Steve, how does caffeine stimulate our body and, and our hearts? Yeah. Well, caffeine works by blocking a set of biologic docking stations in the body. They're called adenosine receptors. So when caffeine blocks these receptors, it sets in motion a series of reactions, including ones that increase the availability of dopamine in the brain. That's a feel-good chemical. And they boost levels of adrenaline that can help you to focus. And uh, caffeine also does a lot of other stimulating things in the body. It uh, increases blood flow to different organs, including the kidneys, which uh, is responsible for that well-known diuretic effect. And uh, caffeine can also stimulate the movement of the gut, uh, causing many people to need to head to the bathroom. So lots of stimulation related to caffeine, uh, literally from top to bottom. (laughs) Jen, the FDA has guidelines for caffeine consumption. They say 400 milligrams of caffeine is generally a safe amount for adults to take, and that's typically about four cups of coffee. But there's a wide variation in how sensitive people can be to caffeine. How much does caffeine tolerance differ from person to person? It it differs a lot. And what ends up happening is people get a sense of how sensitive they are as an individual. And so because caffeine is so ubiquitous, uh, we tend to start to sample caffeinated beverages when we're children. And so people tend to learn over time if they are very sensitive to caffeine and they often avoid it. And then people like me learn over time that they can drink quite a bit of caffeine without having any negative side effects. And some of that also can change over time depending on how much you consume it. So if you are a regular consumer of caffeine, you can develop a tolerance to the caffeine and that allows your body to be able to handle consuming more and more caffeine. What what makes some people more tolerant of caffeine? So there's a lot of variability in both the enzymes that metabolize caffeine in your body. So some people metabolize caffeine more quickly than others. And then, um, as Steve mentioned, there's variability in the adenosine system. So some people have more or less adenosine receptors. So some people are able to respond more or less to that caffeine. Steve, as a cardiologist, how important is it to consider our heart's ability to handle stimulants like coffee? or like caffeine, I should say, more broadly? Yeah, it varies uh, greatly from individual to individual. Some people are extremely sensitive and will note the development of palpitations, uh, an increased awareness of your heartbeat. 
Um, for other people, uh, acutely drinking a lot of coffee can increase blood pressure. But what's interesting is that a regular moderate consumption of caffeine doesn't typically raise blood pressure for most people. But again, the key is individuals vary. So although you know and, uh, the averages uh, don't apply to specific individuals, but generally speaking, uh, not a huge effect on, on blood pressure. So it really is more of an individual response. Well, and Jen, take us deeper into how our brains respond to caffeine, because I, I notice with myself, I like I said, I got to have that that coffee first thing in the morning. But I notice that there's sort of a threshold for me where, if I drink more than two cups closely together, then I start to experience this. It's it's not a headache. And it's not exactly brain fog, but but I can feel something happening in my mind. And I just start drinking a lot of water to try, I don't know if it's effective or not, but to try to flush some of the caffeine out of my system. Yeah. So again, this is also really uh, varies from individual to individual. Um, but what caffeine typically is doing in your brain is, again, it's count, adenosine is a neurotransmitter that whose job it is to kind of slow us down, make us feel tired, make us feel sleepy. And so caffeine antagonizes that system. And so when we have caffeine, it's going to make us feel more alert and more energized. But when we have too much, that too much can feel very different in different people. So so you, what you're describing is, is maybe some effects on the um, vascular system where you might start to feel what, what you might feel if you're a little bit dehydrated, where you you feel this urge to drink more water to sort of counteract that. Um, other people feel jittery, feel anxious. Some people feel really nauseous. Um, but most people, as they're consuming too much, they have some sort of physiological reaction that tells them to stop before it gets to the point where it gets really dangerous and you start getting some of these um, cardiovascular side effects. We're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, how does your caffeine source affect the way you feel? Back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from Daryl. 
This is Daryl from Virginia. I was a longtime user of caffeine in my day job in the city, and I've shied away from it. And now it seems I've realized how strong and potent it is. What is the difference, or is there a difference, between where your caffeine is derived, i.e. energy drink versus matcha? I don't know if it's psychosomatic or something in my head, but I feel like there's a difference in the type of energy I receive depending on where I get the caffeine from. Yerba mate seems to be the best. Daryl, thanks for that question. Jennifer, how much does it matter where we're getting our caffeine from? So this is something that people commonly report, that depending on where you get it from, you feel different things. The caffeine is the caffeine. The chemical structure of the caffeine is the same, whether you get it from a natural source like coffee and tea or whether it's an additive like an energy drinks or soda. But what may be happening is that the caffeine is interacting with other ingredients that are contained within those beverages that are making it have a different effect on your body. So for example, caffeine plus sugar might have a different effect. Those that might have an additive effect with one another. And there's lots of other things in energy drinks. There's um, there's both added caffeine and then there's more natural sources of caffeine like guarana. And then there's um, amino acids and vitamins and minerals. And all of these things might interact with the caffeine or have other effects in your body that are complementary to the caffeine. And so that's probably what people are experiencing. It's not necessarily a difference in the caffeine itself. Again, the chemical structure is the same. I want to get to this email from John who says, I'm 72 and probably have averaged no more than six hours of sleep per night since I was 16 and went to work. I managed to maintain my A average in school. Coffee felt essential. When I started having atrial fibrillation, I had to start eliminating my triggers. Caffeine was one. A Panera Bread is facing two wrongful death lawsuits. That's after two people died drinking their charged lemonades in September and October. These are caffeinated lemonades. One of the plaintiffs, who had a heart condition, drank one large cup. The other plaintiff had high blood pressure and drank three. And one large cup of the charged lemonade contained 390 milligrams of nearly four cups of of coffee's um, equivalent. How weary should we be of caffeine and drinks especially when it's not immediately apparent. Steve? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's really concerning when caffeine is kind of hidden in drinks that uh, it may not be suspected in, like the example of lemonade. And I think, you know, even exposing it to children uh, makes it especially concerning in that setting. But absolutely, there is... Um, not only um, the presence of caffeine, but the amount of caffeine and the combination in various drinks can be very concerning. Uh, some of the energy drinks have 200 milligrams uh, or much more of caffeine in addition to a variety of other stimulating additives that that are combined that not only may be additive, but synergistic, like adding up to more than the sum of their parts. So I think that you know, it's important to consider that these drinks also are, are not just vehicles for caffeine, but they're whole kind of families of, of chemicals. In the case of coffee, there's many positive ones. There's a whole uh, hundreds of phytochemicals that are present in coffee. Um, many of them look to be very protective. But when you go to extracting caffeine and putting it in very high concentrations in things like lemonade or energy drinks, then you're combining it with other ingredients that are not necessarily healthful and, uh, as the listeners pointed out, may be very harmful. I mean, Jen, as we've been saying, caffeine isn't just in coffee and tea. It's it's in a plethora of sodas and energy drinks and, and gummies, 
How are different caffeine products regulated? Um, that's a really good question. So the Food and Drug Administration regulates caffeine as an additive in things that are considered foods and beverages. So uh, there's an upper limit to how much caffeine can be added, which is 70 milligrams per 12 ounces. There are um, a pretty narrow range of caffeine added to soda, so anywhere between about 40 milligrams up to 55 milligrams per 12 ounces. But energy drinks and energy shots are not considered beverages by the Food and Drug Administration. They are considered supplements because of the other ingredients that they contain. So because they have vitamins and minerals and amino acids added to them, they are not considered beverages, and therefore the FDA does not limit the amount of caffeine that can be added to them. So if you're a consumer and you're looking at one of these one of these drinks or these shots, What information should you look for on the label? I would recommend that people do look for the amount of caffeine. While it's not required that they label it, the American Beverage Association recommends that energy drink manufacturers put the amount of caffeine on there, and most of them do. So that can give you a place to start. But um, as Steve mentioned, there are synergistic effects of both the added caffeine and some of the more natural sources of caffeine and the other ingredients that are contained within these beverages, especially energy drinks. So I would just urge people to be cautious in general when they're thinking about consuming these things because people may have a history of caffeine consumption and have not had any negative effects, but could have some negative side effects of consuming these drinks because of the the synergy with the other ingredients. Here's a question we got for you, Steve. I This comes from John. I read recently that five cups of coffee a day has wonderful benefits for a healthy liver. Is there any truth to this? Uh, there is some data that uh, certain sorts of liver conditions may be improved uh, with caffeine. Five cups of coffee is is the outer limit for for most people. So I wouldn't recommend that offhand for people dealing with specific liver conditions, but there there is some preliminary data uh, for certain sorts of liver conditions. There's a whole variety. So it's uh, it's a little bit more complicated than uh, could be answered quickly. But uh, yeah, lots of data for, you know, uh, such a range of conditions um, from Parkinson's to diabetes. We could get more into that, but uh, it's it's really incredible some of the benefits that, again, not caffeine per se, but coffee and tea in particular have been associated with. Right, and tell us, tell us more. Yeah. So, you know, right off the bat, uh, coffee consumption has been associated with, with health benefits that include improved longevity. And there was a study that came out just uh, a couple of years ago that showed a, a 29% reduced uh, uh, mortality over a long term by, by coffee drinkers. And this is generally in the range of two to four cups of coffee uh, per day. So um, the, the four cups would be kind of the outer limit for most. A few studies, uh, as many as five cups. In addition to just overall longevity, there's a reduced uh, risk of cardiovascular disease that is associated with coffee and tea consumption. And actually, interestingly, uh, reduced risk of diabetes 
And uh, that is interesting since uh, diabetes is uh, affecting uh, so many individuals uh, now. Uh, you know, more than 12% of uh, the U.S. public has diabetes. Interesting that uh, uh, coffee has been helpful. And actually, in the prevention of uh, Parkinson's, there is some data showing that coffee can be helpful. So, uh, again, you know, more than the caffeine, this is the whole kind of stew of phytochemicals, these health-promoting chemicals from plants that coffee and tea contain. I mean, Jen, how does caffeine, or maybe it's coffee or tea specifically, how does it affect our mood? Um, yeah, so because of its effects on us feeling more energized and us feeling more alert, that can also have these effects on our mood. So we just feel more positive. People report that they feel happier, they feel more optimistic, they feel more energized. And I think it's important to point out, because all of these callers are talking about, you know, they wake up in the morning and they feel blah, and then they have caffeine and then it makes them feel better. And that's one of the main effects of caffeine. So because it has a very short half-life, it moves out of our system really quickly. By the time you wake up in the morning, you don't really have any caffeine left. And so what you're feeling is is kind of the effects of the withdrawal from that caffeine. And so you need the caffeine to kind of just even bring you up to kind of a, a steady state or a baseline that somebody that maybe doesn't ever consume caffeine might wake up at. And so there's this common theme, and, and I'm a I'm a daily coffee drinker as well. And so I feel the same way. So you just feel tired and sluggish and and the caffeine you need the caffeine to kind of bring you up. And so that's kind of that effect on mood is sort of counteracting the withdrawal effects from not having caffeine overnight. Steve, why can drinking caffeine make people feel anxious? Yeah, well, it is a stimulant. And, you know, it, it just kind of reminds me of this caller's question of a, a general concept in medicine. And that is, when there is a, something that is off, the first thing to think about is, you know, one of the medicines that you're consuming. And and although uh, caffeine generally isn't considered a medicine, it, it is a drug. So absolutely, you know, anxiety and agitation are also, you know, very common and, and obviously so many reasons for it. But caffeine is one of them. So if individuals are experiencing um undue agitation or anxiety that, that it's a problem in their life, it is worthwhile to consider that coffee or tea could be part of it and, and more. Could be um, could be cola, you know, beverages that have caffeine, cold beverages. It could be a lot of chocolate, you know, anything that has caffeine. But but certainly that uh, the caller's experience is is one that I think people should really consider if they're dealing with anxiety or agitation. Well, Jen, you have a specific research interest with caffeine consumption in children. We heard earlier from Samala, who says she started drinking coffee when she was five years old. What have you noticed about the effects caffeine can have on young children when it comes to anxiety? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I have to say right off the bat that anxiety isn't something that we actually measured in the studies that we did in my lab. But it's something that I explored as part of a review article I wrote a few years ago, where we're really starting to recognize the link between caffeine and symptoms of anxiety or even depression and other mental health conditions where caffeine can exacerbate some of those mental health conditions and that that can happen in children as well as adults. And so, again, we didn't measure that outcome specifically, but it's also important to echo what Steve said earlier about there's really not a lot of research 
on or no research in humans to really chronicle the impact of caffeine on the developing brain, which is why it is not recommended that children consume caffeine, especially children under the age of 12. So there's a lot of unknowns out there. And part of the reason for the unknowns is that it's not ethical for us to do the randomized control trials we would need to do where we give kids high doses of caffeine for months and months, and then we measure these outcome variables. So a lot of what we know about this is really just kind of asking kids how much caffeine they consume and then asking them about their mood or their um, mental health and then seeing what, what the correlations are. But that's not scientifically rigorous in the way that we would like it to be. Hmm. Let's pause here for just a moment. Still ahead, can you stop drinking coffee cold turkey? We get to it after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. You know, Steve, this conversation was prompted by a discussion I had with one of our producers mm-hmm. uh, about her having sleep trouble. And as we kind of talked through her day, I asked her, well, wait, are you drinking caffeine in the afternoon? And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, just a Coke. <laughs> And I said, that might be doing it. You sleuthed it out. I sleuthed it out. Tell us more about how caffeine interferes with our sleep patterns. Well, you know, it can be a vicious cycle because people uh, drink caffeine to kind of get a boost in the morning, uh, sometimes at noon, sometimes in the afternoon. And what, what can happen is they have trouble sleeping. So the next day, you know they're they're fatigued, and the answer is you know more coffee. They'll they'll be drinking very high amounts of caffeine. Their sleep will be disturbed often, and then you know you get into this vicious cycle of more and more and more and more until you know your thinking becomes really obscured and all kinds of problems happen. So it's it's not an uncommon sort of progression, and it's one that does uh, require some intervention. It was it was uh, great advice that. Uh, that he was given to, uh, you can't cut uh, cut uh, cold turkey if you're wishing to uh, to do that. Uh, you really need to cut down gradually. If you try to cut cold turkey, what happens to a lot of people is that they feel really bad. They get bad headaches. They get extremely fatigued. And they feel like, well, I guess I really need this caffeine. And they find that they, they can't get off it. But it's the gradual taper that is generally much more successful. Hey Jen, what do we know about how caffeine affects kids' sleeping habits? Yeah, so caffeine definitely disrupts kids' sleeping habits. And because children have a shorter history with consuming caffeine, they tend to be more sensitive to it and they don't have the same level of tolerance that many of us do because we are habitual consumers. And so kids might have a negative effect of sleep even if they have a a soda at three o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon, which might seem relatively innocuous to us, but they, they can have sleep disrupted with much lower levels of caffeine 
And there are so many things in kids' environments today that are competing with sleep and sleep quality, like screen time, for example, that adding caffeine to that mix can just really exacerbate those negative effects. So when I talk to parents, one of the things that I recommend is is really no caffeine, especially in kids younger than 12. But if kids are going to have caffeine, really try to limit it in terms of amount and limit it to earlier in the day. The, the longer you can, or the, the more distance you can put between caffeine consumption and sleep, the better for kids. Here's a message we got from Guy who emails, years ago, I was at a family gathering and came down with a debilitating headache. I then learned that I had been drinking decaf for two days. I'm sorry, Guy. After getting a big cup of real coffee at a store down the street, I was back to normal in less than an hour. And then Liz emailed, can you talk about decaf coffees and if they have an effect on sleep? How much decaf equals how much regular coffee? I mean, Jen, does it, is there caffeine in decaf? There is a, a very small amount of caffeine in, in decaffeinated coffee. So decaffeinated coffee is sort of the caffeine is removed from the coffee and there are trace amounts, but it is very unlikely that it would be enough to make people have negative effects. It, it's lower than the amount that you find in chocolate. So it's not something that um, that we typically worry about. And um, And maybe Steve can talk a little bit about this more, but some of the benefits of coffee um, have actually been found in decaf coffee as well. And so decaf coffee coffee can have health benefits without any of the potential negative effects of caffeine for somebody that might be sensitive. And Steve, what can you tell us? Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Uh, again, the, the benefits associated with coffee and tea are not necessarily related to the caffeine, certainly not the caffeine alone. So what is fascinating is that decaf coffee is also associated with an increase in longevity and also associated with a reduced rate of cardiovascular events. So that means that it must be this this whole mix of phytochemicals, and there are hundreds of them. There are ones that are anti-inflammatory. There are ones that prevent certain harmful reactions in the body from taking place called antioxidants. So absolutely, and they, they obviously don't depend on caffeine since decaf coffee is helpful. So uh, that is absolutely true. I did want to point out one, one other thing. We, we've talked about uh, caffeine in children. In one area I wanted to mention that's especially concerning to me, and I think it's so unfortunate, is that energy drinks are often sold in middle school and high school cafeterias and made accessible through the school system. I'm not sure what exactly the reason for that is, but I, I can't imagine the havoc that it is raising uh, for many of these children having such not only ready access, but kind of the stamp of approval from the school. So I did want to point that out. It would be really, I think, helpful for listeners to inquire if they've got school-aged children, you know, what is being served in their school cafeteria? And if energy drinks are part of it, it, it probably is something that should be looked at and I believe removed. Well, you have time for one more message. Hi, this is Katie from Cary, North Carolina. And I was curious about what is considered a healthy way to wean ourselves off caffeine. Is it just cold turkey? Um, and, you know, how can we be more mindful of how caffeine is affecting our body? Thanks for that message, Katie. First of all, Stephen, why is weaning off caffeine not as easy as we may think? 
Well, it is a drug, and uh, we've become habituated to the effect that the body is used to receiving uh, this this drug, and uh, has a certain way of kind of responding in the world with that drug on board. And so, withdrawing from caffeine, if you if people are are moderate or heavy consumers uh, regularly kind of stopping that quickly kind of jolts the body into uh, into a, a panic mode and so I would say again the idea is not to uh, not to stop abruptly but if you wanted to kind of check in and I think this is useful check in with your body to see you know what is the effect of uh, of the coffee or tea consumption that I have on my body the only way to find out is to drop down a little bit and, and see what effect that has. So I would advise people, if they do want to cut down, they not quit cold turkey, but they maybe switch the, the number of beverages containing caffeine to maybe drop them in half uh, for a week and then maybe a half again. Another option would be to people to switch from a highly caffeinated drink like uh, certain kinds of coffee to less caffeinated beverages like black tea. Uh, a cup of black tea generally has less than half the amount of caffeine as in a similar amount of brewed coffee or green tea, even less caffeine. And that might be another way of keeping some of the caffeine on board if they want to like the effect or like the taste, but also to cut back on the amount that they're consuming. And really briefly, Steve, what are some things we should pay attention to in our bodies that might indicate, uh, might be time to, to kind of wean ourselves off of caffeine? Yeah, people are having difficulties either getting to sleep or staying asleep. That would be one, one uh, clue. Another one, people dealing with agitation or anxiety would be another. And then uh, in general, people with heartburn symptoms, also they're very common. Uh, it could be a relation to caffeine. So that would be a, a good indication. Um, the other group, um, just people to uh, consider their caffeine content are people who wish to, women who wish to conceive or who are pregnant. Uh, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists recommend limiting caffeine to under 200 milligrams. So that would be generally uh, two regular sized cups of coffee or less. So these are groups that really need to think about uh, limiting their intake. That's Dr. Stephen DeVries. He's a preventative cardiologist and the executive director of the Gables Institute. That's an educational nonprofit with the mission of advancing the role of nutrition in medicine. Also with us, Jennifer Temple. She's a professor of exercise and nutrition sciences and director of the Nutrition and Health Research Laboratory at University at Buffalo. Jen, Steve, thanks for speaking with us. Today's producer was Jorgelina Manarea. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. 
And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.